Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ed Surge Extra Podcast. My name is Betsy Corcoran. I'm CEO and co-founder of Ed Surge. This episode is one of three spotlight interviews I did as a part of our State of Ed Tech special report. You can check out the full coverage and play with some interactive elements on our site at edsurge.com. Or try the short link, which is bit.ly backslash edtechfinance. In this episode of the Ed Surge Extra podcast, I sit down with Bridget Lau. Bridget was co-founder of Social Capital Partnership. They're a relative newcomer to the Silicon Valley Investors Club, but they're managing a fair amount of money. The firm has more than $1.2 billion under management and invests in many verticals, including healthcare, financial services, enterprise software, and yes, education. Bridget is focused on the education portion. These days, she's looking primarily at startup companies, although the firm has made a few larger investments in companies that include Remind and Creative Live. So Bridget, let's talk about social capital. Tell me about, what's the thesis? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish as a firm? Sure. Um, so our mission here at Social Capital is to advance humanity. And we do this by focusing on companies Uh, that develop technology to solve the world's hardest problems. And so we do invest across multiple categories. It includes healthcare, financial services, enterprise, as well as education. And we have about $1.2 billion under management across three funds. Cool. Now, education is probably the smallest of these funds, or the smallest of these areas of focus, is that fair to say? We certainly have fewer education investments. Um, I say our biggest set of companies is in enterprise right now and healthcare. Perfect. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what you've done in education. You've got seed, you've got others. Tell, tell me a little bit about what you have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I focus on early stage seed investing. Mm-hmm. We have a smaller portfolio there where I invest up to $250,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also focus on A's and B's and we have about four companies, four education companies in that category. Treehouse, Remind, Brilliant, as well as Descomplica. And in general, the A's and B's are somewhere between three to $5 million investments. Great. So, Bridget, is investing in education, is it different than healthcare and enterprise, these other sectors that, that the fund is involved with? Yes. Um, I believe we need more patience in education investing. Um, there's such a massive impact of education on our um, society and our economy, but we do need to view it with a different lens. Um, Being in the Valley, we've seen the rise of unicorns, and I want to give a shout out to Aileen Lee, who came up with the term. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that set the bar for all entrepreneurs, including education education or ed tech entrepreneurs, um, and they've all set their eyes on that goal. But the nature of ed tech in general is that you're selling into schools, you have a slower sales cycle, you have to educate a population or cohort of people that just need more education and understanding how technology can improve their work and the lives of their students. 
And so it's that much harder. And so when I see growth in ed tech, if you've got something, we won't see kind of the rocket ships that we expect actually in, uh, in unicorns or consumer businesses. But if we see steady growth, we should consider that given the overall market for education. Um, of course, we do have companies like Remind that look more like a consumer model and have, have has had tremendous growth, um, and we're really excited about their path, but they're only one of many education startups today. Cool. When you are looking, you, you probably get a lot of deals coming across your desk. Probably, any, any idea? Dozens? Lots. Anyway. Yes. My days are filled with, with meeting <laughs> entrepreneurs daily. Yeah. 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 So talk about what some of the things are. What are three things you look for when these prospective entrepreneurs are, are coming up to you? Yeah. So right now I am focused more on early stage deals mm -hmm. and my focus is really on market and team. I'm really interested in companies that expand the market. Uh, versus being a derivative of some technology and then trying to apply it specifically to education. Uh, a second thing that I look for is I look for coachability of the teams. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many signals in the space and for me it's very important to understand um, how entrepreneurs are processing and developing their thesis. And generally I like to dig into their motivation and really tie it back to our mission. And then the third, um, as we all know, the startup life is extremely hard and there's a lot of sacrifices. <laughs> and so I, I truly am looking for leaders who can solve the industry problem, but also lead an organization um, or at a minimum have the potential to do that. Great. What nixes a deal for you? Anything that's a, a red flag that when you see it, you think, well, this is... Uh, left pile not right pile there's the right balance of being passionate about solving a problem mm -hmm. but then also having the sensibility to execute and be a successful entrepreneur and so when I evaluate companies that is top of mind and if I see a company that lacks one or the other it's a it's a quick pass for me so it's that really that balance they've got to have the mission as you said the leadership in the field ability to be coached uh, and, um, and, and an idea, a new idea that will yes. change the game, but also that sort of sense of practicality. You gotta Absolutely. make a business. <laughs> exactly. You gotta actually have some customers here. Exactly. Cool. Um, coming back to your portfolio, you mentioned that you have seed companies and you have a couple of companies in the A, B categories. Mm -hmm. Have you grown those A, B categories? Did they grow up out of your, your seed fund? And, Talk a little bit about, you know, how do you, how do you do that? How do you grow them? So interestingly enough, um, the, our four main education investments have actually come out of um, our seed portfolio. So Treehouse, I believe we were in there super early. Same, I know we did Remind um, in the A. And even the story of Brilliant, um, we saw Sue at a launch conference a few years back and we just thought she was phenomenal. And, but 
Jamath met with her and he hated the business. <laughs> so <laughs> he somehow convinced her to uh, pivot and, and focus on what they have today. Um, and so, yes, we've kind of helped them shape their vision and support them as entrepreneurs. That's fantastic. Obviously, as you said, education's uh, a smaller part of your portfolio. So let's talk more broadly about success and failure across the whole portfolio. Some companies, some venture firms say they, they have a percentage, they expect that some percentage of their fund will fail. What about social capital? Do you, do you have a number in mind? How do you, how do you think about uh, how many deals you're going to do going forward? We, I would say that for each fund, we have maybe 60 active companies, and the rest are considered passive. Um, and so our attention is absolutely in companies where we've placed bigger check sizes. Um, Education is such a uh, complicated business to know if you're succeeding. How do you think about measuring or evaluating the health of the companies that you're investing in? So I'd like to speak about something that is unique to our firm. We've created and developed our growth team as well as our data science team. And a lot of our a lot of a lot of the people who work here at Social Capital have a Facebook pedigree. So recently, Forbes did a profile on our partner, Jonathan Sue. He runs the data science team here. Uh, we've productized this and um, and we open source this. It's called the Magic Eight Ball. Uh, this is where we ingest data from companies, which allows us to see whether startups. Um, have product market fit and we can benchmark it across our own portfolio companies. Hmm. So in other words, you're ingesting data from just your portfolio companies or companies from all over the web? All over. All over the web. So, so you're sucking in a whole lot of data and yes. then you can use that to benchmark your portfolio companies. Absolutely. Wow. So companies who want uh, who want to pitch us, occasionally we do ask them to kind of go through this exercise because then we can see if there is something unique about the business that we can compare against what we know our high flyers to be. That's really interesting. And just a moment more on that, are you benchmarking them then against both the whole of industry? So for instance, someone like Remind, are you benchmarking Remind against Snapchat and Facebook? Or are you benchmarking them against things in the education sector? So, you know, you'd look for a comparable to remind and benchmark them against that. Sure. We actually do both. Um, We have to benchmark it against education because um, that is the market. Um, However, it's always nice to compare it to what we know are the high flyers and see where they compare um, on on the sheet, on the Excel, on the... Sorry, <laughs> on the spreadsheet or uh, on the uh, glorious spreadsheet. The, <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess that is also it, it's interesting to think about because that that probably can give you a little more confidence in a business model that you know might be about remind hasn't actually tried to sell a product yet, and so it's got a model of hey we want a lot of adoption. So that gives you a way to benchmark the adoption rather than wondering whether they're going to sell stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, Remind is um, a great company that has focused on user growth for a very long time. Um, and uh, other things that are important to them is engagement um, and activation. Um, I would say that every company is different and as Remind shifts and figures out what their next um, key metric key metric is, then um, that that's kind of where we are with them. Great. Yeah, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess the last question on that is, again, because you as a firm have a social mission, because these education companies have a social mission, is there any way to measure that? Yeah, so I believe that successful companies who have a handle on their data will, will if data is must be a part of their DNA, um, because when you have that d- when you have that information, then you can make the right decisions about your business. Um, and so I believe we constantly push this amongst all of our portfolio companies that having this DNA of data um, and then acting, making decisions on that data is extremely important. Great. Um- Let's talk about the success of your portfolio broadly. Uh, I've been asking people if uh, they have a number in mind, if they have a percentage of the portfolio that they expect will die. Uh, You guys have a slightly different approach to this. So not specific to education, but more broadly, how do you think about, you know, what is there is what, how your, how your overall portfolio is faring? Right. So I'd like to think that all my companies will make it or (laughs) the entire portfolio (laughs) is going to do great. Um, And we're constantly monitoring it. Um, But when I make an investment decision, I'm not bucketing it into, oh, this one, this one has a high degree of failure. This one's going to be our, you know, winner. Um, So in a sense, that exercise is done kind of looking back, but we're constantly monitoring the uh, the success of the portfolio. Um, And when we do see success or trending um, for some of our companies, um, then it actually enables us to take more risks. Perfect. Okay. And um, let's talk about the education marketplace a little bit and whether it's healthy or not. Uh, Some people have said, you know, this is a tough marketplace. Is it, is it, do you think this is a, a healthy functioning marketplace? Yeah, I actually do think it's fairly healthy. Um, we, the fact that I'm constantly seeing entrepreneurs um, means that there's that side of the market that's fairly healthy. Also, in terms of investors, there's quite a few education focused funds. And so there are, there's capital ready to be deployed and entrepreneurs who want um, the capital. So I, I do see that as being fairly healthy. However, yes, the education market is tightening, but I also think it's happening across the board, uh, across all all markets and verticals. And so I I couldn't say that it's industry specific, but we are seeing constricting of investment dollars. Right, so there's fewer investment dollars for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there, do you have any particular either concerns or do you, what do you tell, you know, your your portfolio companies about whether there's, 
you know, proportionally fewer dollars for education? Are they in the same boat as everyone else? You know, how does it, how does it, how does it, how does education look in contrast to the overall market slowdown that we see? I think I actually tell the same advice to all my companies, which is in this moment in time, we have to focus on operational excellence. And it means, um, it means making smart bets. Um, it's not about, it, it's about iterating, but it's also getting enough data so that you can, one, decide to step on the gas or stop because it's just not working. Um, I think you do have to be careful that since capital is harder to find, that you need to find longer, kind of, you, you have to make the dollar last longer. Okay. Good to be a frugal entrepreneur these days. <laughs> and when uh, companies, when, when you think about your seed fund and then uh, companies come back and they're interested in an A or a larger round, again, are you evaluating them against education companies? Are you evaluating them against everyone who's coming in for an A round in, in, into social capital? What's the competition like? So specifically because we invest in multiple categories. We're, we are, when education companies come in for the A, we are actually comparing them across all industries. So that actually, it, it, it does, it puts education companies, it, set, it sets the bar a lot higher, I would say. Um, because they also have this big social mission well, all your companies have a social mission, but education does have a real social mission too. Yes, um, but we have to see a great business model. We have to see a great market, and we have to see a fantastic entrepreneur. Fair enough. What uh, misconception do ed tech entrepreneurs come in with that you would you would love that they knew this about investors before they walk in your door? <laughs> so. In education, I believe we cannot not be mission-driven. Um, we have to have a point of view of the world in which we live in and understand that some things are completely out of our control. So when I see entrepreneurs, I can empathize and, and know that they are so passionate about their focus um, and their business but sometimes it's just not the right fit. And entrepreneurs really put out, you know, put their hearts on the table. And um, do they do that more in education? Yeah, than in other I, areas? I, yes, because they're they're helping children learn. They are giving new opportunities to people that that who who could who would have been left behind. Um, and those are really important drivers um, and motivators for a lot of uh, entrepreneurs but it's but when you're looking for capital it's so important to find the right investor who is aligned with your values aligned with your vision and so when I pass on a deal it, I it's not necessarily me saying, oh, I think you're terrible I think your business is terrible it's really more of a fit and focus. And so I really support 
educational entrepreneurs, and I want I want to see everyone succeed. <laughs> Great. What's something that you think that general venture capitalists, folks who are not involved in education or maybe really in any kind of social investing at all, what should they know about education, about about this approach that you're taking to social investing? So I believe that we are moving towards a world where it's not just about the bottom line. It has to be the health of the environment, the health of our society and the health of our people. And it isn't about how much money can I make? Um, you know, how much growth am I going to have? I think all those things are important, but it should be balanced with, with a greater meaning. And so when I look back, I think diversity becomes an even more important topic um, because I think that changes how we make decisions when we have a diverse community and a diverse um, investment committee. Um, and it will be different. The answers will be different from um, decisions made by a room full of old white men. <laughs> so what you're saying is the venture capital has to change too, that it's not enough to check the box and say, yeah, we did that diversity thing or we did that ed thing. But that somehow Absolutely. venture capital has to figure out a way to, in metrics that are meaningful or in some meaningful capacity, to change the way they're thinking about investing. Absolutely. And, and it is changing. Um, we are, in this market, the consumer is the entrepreneur. And so we're actually beholden to what the entrepreneur wants. Do they want people who are more um, mission-driven and focused on building great businesses, but also helping the, the, the world? I think that those decisions will be made by today's entrepreneur who are more directed by purpose. Terrific. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Ed Surge Extra podcast. My name is Betsy Corcoran. And I hope you'll check out our State of the Ed Tech special report. You can find that at edsurge.com or by looking for the short link bit.ly backslash edtechfinance.